Good morning. My name is Elliot Everett, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it is, as always, a great blessing to open God's Word with you, especially this morning as we open God's Word before we come together to the Lord's table. I invite you, if you have your Bibles, uh, to turn to Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses as they're found there. You could find them uh, printed in your worship folder as well. But let's read these first 11 verses of this letter to Philippians together. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. This is God's word for us this morning. The book uh, Into the Wild and later the movie Into the Wild uh, was based on a true story of a young man named Christopher McCandless who really uh, exhibits in a lot of ways the spirit of our age as he uh, upon graduation from high school wanted to go make the most of his life and he did so by traveling alone to the wilderness of Alaska to live by himself for a full year. His story had a very tragic ending as he was found deceased uh, after the winter ice had melted and from what they found it, it became apparent that Uh, As he was starving, he ate something uh, that then further uh, kept him from eating anything else, and he eventually starved to death. One of the things that they found in the bus, this empty bus that he had made his makeshift home out in the wilderness, is he had carved into a desk these words, happiness only real when shared. Happiness only real when shared. What the young man came to find, tragically, was that going out alone as an individual to live life by himself uh, did not produce for him what he had hoped. As he, as his life ended, uh, missing, I'm sure, the ones that he loved. A lot of people refer to Paul's letter to the Philippians as his epistle of joy because one of the things that he continues to talk about passage after passage, no matter what subject he addresses, is the joy that the Christian has in the gospel in Christ. 
And as he begins, I, I wonder if, if you were going to write a list of all the things that the gospel gives you joy, how the gospel gives you joy, what would be on that list and, and in what order do you think they would come to your mind? Well, I find it fascinating as Paul begins this letter. He cannot help but overflow. I hope you caught maybe the emotions of Paul as he writes this. He cannot help but overflow with his love and joy in the gospel because of his relationship with these people, these people that he loves, these people that he spent time with, that he saw God at work in their midst and in their lives. And so I want to look at this as, as Paul begins this letter to the Philippians speaking about his joy in relationship to them and the joy that they have in the gospel in relationship to one another. So I want to look at three things, his thanksgiving for this relationship, his assurance because of the relationship, and finally his prayer for them. So the first thing is thanksgiving, and again, as Paul begins this letter, he's, he's, I get the sense that he's kind of bursting with thanksgiving, and specifically bursting with thanksgiving for these people. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul loves these people. You can tell. You can hear it. You can feel it. He's bursting with thanksgiving as he remembers them and the relationship that he has with them, and he calls it a partnership. And not just any partnership, but a, a gospel partnership, a partnership that they have in the gospel. And he speaks in the strongest of terms. Verse 6, he says, I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, he'll say, I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul loved these people. And he cannot help but put words to it. We know from the book of Acts, you go back and, and look at the founding of this church uh, and the events surrounding in Acts 16 and around there, uh, and, and through this letter, some of the things that Paul says to them, that these people and Paul had been through a lot together. That's one of the things we know just from basic human experience is that deep bonds are forged when we do life together, when we do real life together, when real things happen, the ups and the downs, the depth of the, uh, of the downs, the height of the ups. When we go through those things together with people, there are deep bonds uh, that are forged. I came across, I heard of a, of a really good story that illustrates this in the wake of the Boston Marathon bombing. Um, at the, at the finish line of the Boston Marathon during that bombing years ago, there was a young girl, uh, Sydney Corcoran, who was running with her parents, uh, and they were injured in the blast. But in the aftermath and the chaos of the blast, uh, she was injured and separated from her parents. And a man, Matthew Smith, came to her, found her, and attended to her until the paramedics got to her and could treat her and get her uh, to the hospital and to safety. They didn't talk, they didn't introduce themselves, they didn't know each other. But the story goes later that Smith found, he sought Sydney out and found her in the hospital she was in and he came to see her and Sydney recounts the moment that he walked into the room and she said this, the moment I saw him walk through the door, I knew it was him and I started crying. They'd only spent a few minutes together, a few traumatic minutes together. But something had been a bond of sorts, I think you could say, had been forged between them in those moments. Again, Paul says this is a, a gospel partnership, it, meaning, you know, it's not just Christian, he's not just trying to say something Christian about their friendship. 
What that means is, is that they are friends, that they are connected to one another because of the gospel, meaning they're connected to one another. They have relationship with each other because of Jesus, specifically because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done and what he had done for them. That Jesus had, was the one that ran headlong into the carnage of our sin, knowing exactly what it would cost him, right? is the cost of his life. And so Paul says that all that Jesus has done for me and all that I know that Jesus has done for you, it just comes flowing out of my heart for you because you are in a relationship with Jesus as well. It's worth asking as we read some of the things that Paul says to these people whom he loves, it is worth reflecting, do we have people in our lives that we can say things like this to? Because I don't think it would be very hard for you to think of some people that you would probably say you are somewhat close to, but you'd probably never say something like this to them. My heart yearns with all the affection of Christ Jesus for you. Now, we don't really speak like that to each other. That's fine. I'm not, not saying you necessarily have to. But do you have people in your life that you could say things like this to? that could say and maybe do say things like this to you. Because, you know, the reality of our humanity and our lives and the busyness, we tend to drift towards relationships of proximity and affinity. Nothing inherently wrong with that, but we tend to be friends with and get to know people that are close to us and people that like the things that we like. But what, what are ways in which we can break through that, break beyond that, See, Christians are called to deeper relationships than mere proximity and mere affinity. Now, look, these people had proximity and affinity. They're in Philippi, and they believe in Jesus. Proximity and affinity. But what is it about Jesus and the gospel and coming together in Jesus and in the gospel that goes so much deeper than the proximity and affinity relationships that we tend to find ourselves in? And again, you go back to Acts 16, and you'll see at the founding of this church, the first member is a woman named Lydia, an upstanding, successful religious woman. The second member of the church, as we read in Acts 16 at least, is a demon-possessed slave girl. Third member of the church is a jailer, meaning he works for the enemy. And then let's not forget, fourthly, their pastor Paul, who used to spend his time approving of the murder of Christians. And so the picture you get there at the founding of this church is no one would have looked at these people and said, well, that makes sense that they started a club. No one would have said that. They would have looked at those people and they would say, the only reason this makes sense is because Jesus changed their hearts and brought them together. And that's what we say. That's why what I hope you're, you're getting and will get this morning as we reflect upon this and come to the table together is what this tells us Christians is we need each other. And we need to constantly affirm and proclaim that truth that we need each other. This is a big church. There's bigger churches. But one of the things about church and especially something like this hour you can come on this hour week in and week out for years but do you know anyone does anyone know you 
That is what Jesus has, yes, he's called us as the church, as his people, proclaim his word, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, to know Jesus and to know union and communion with his father through him. But that cannot happen, ultimately, apart from his people. As yes, he calls you by name, but he calls you by name together into his body, his bride, his church. It's what we're here for. And we should be thankful for it. So I'd encourage you to reflect, especially we are all so itching, right? The vaccine's going out. I've got my first one. I can't wait to get my second one so I can finally just feel like maybe I can actually hug somebody again. Or actually, you know, we don't get caught in the, are we shaking hands, are we fist bumping? Can we outlaw the fist bump for like a year? That would be great. Um, are you willing to take the time to give your time to get to know other people, to reach out to them, to see how they're doing? Are you willing to give your time to let people connect with you? We need you. You need us, but we need you. That is the gospel. That is the relationships that we in Jesus have together in the gospel. And for Paul, it brings a outburst, I think you could say, of thanksgiving. But another thing that's interesting to me about as he reflects upon his relationship is the second thing is assurance. As it seems like a non sequitur almost that in verse 6 he says, Well, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now that's a very heavy theological statement. Perseverance of the saints. I know that if God saved you, then you're going to endure to the end. It's like, why did he switch so fast to theology, a doctrine? What's going on here? And if you think about the boldness of the claim, that is a bold claim. I know that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. I know that. He's not with them. He's not FaceTiming them. He's writing them a letter and had no idea how long it was going to take to get there. But he knows this. He knows this. Look at how he says it. He who began a good work in you he will bring it to completion. What Paul's saying is, I know that the work that was begun in you was of God. And God always finishes what he starts. And he's assured of that. I, I think it's fun to, I, I think this is fun to do with a lot of things, what Jesus says, what Paul says. But think about here, think about what Paul doesn't say. You know, when I was in Philippi, I preached my best sermons. So I know that y'all are going to do fine. Doesn't say that. You know, you guys were so smart, I didn't even have to pull out my, like, basic stuff. I jumped right into the deep stuff. Doesn't say that. You know, y'all's church music was so—I won't go there. Um, no. Paul remembers what happened there was only by the work of God. And he remembers that as he remembers them and who they are and the relationships that he has with them. He was on his second missionary journey when he ended up in Philippi and we're told explicitly that the Spirit, the way that Luke puts it in Acts, the Spirit forbid Paul three or four times from speaking. He went to preach in Philippi and we're told the Spirit kept him from getting there and from speaking. And so eventually he ends up outside of the city on the riverbanks to pray where there's mostly only women. And that's where he meets Lydia. 
And not only does he meet Lydia, she is great, but that's not what we're told about the encounter. We're told in verse 14 of Acts 16, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Even as Luke recounts what happens, he remembers it was only possible because God was there and at work. God knew that what happened in Philippi was the work of God, and, God, and Paul knew that God always finishes what he starts. And he remembers that as he recounts the relationships that God founded for him in his time in Philippi. And so it is with all who truly believe that we can, we really can know, we really can have confidence, we really can have full assurance of this because it does not depend on me. And it does not depend on us. And it doesn't depend on how well we've gotten it together and done our thing. Doesn't mean trying to do things in a good and orderly fashion. We are Presbyterian, aren't we? It doesn't mean that those things aren't important. Those things aren't important. But it does mean that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers who labor labor in vain, because it's dependent on God's faithfulness and God's strength, and that's the testimony of the gospel all over the Bible. That's why this is a gospel partnership. When you hear the gospel, what you should hear is it's about God and not me. Now look, we can have that assurance. We struggle mightily with it, all of us, in our own ways, individually. Sometimes we, look, the moment in the culture that we're in, it's not unique. But sometimes it can feel, man, we don't know where this thing's headed. Where are we going to be? I don't know about you. I hate spoilers. Okay? I like, if I'm going to watch a movie or read a book, I want to enjoy it. I want to not know what's on the next page. Some of you people like reading the last chapter of a book. I don't understand you. Read the whole book. The author wrote, anyway, I hate spoilers. I can remember when I was a youth director. On a Saturday in the fall, okay, start doing the math there, I took my youth group on a trip, and there was a really big football game going on that day, and I recorded it. And I told them very explicitly, do not tell me what is happening in the football game. Made it through the whole day. As we're getting on the bus, as I have driven them myself an hour to this place, one of the little 13-year-old boys tells me the score of the game. I didn't get fired. I might still have some repenting to do, though, of how I feel about that story. Why? Why did that upset me? Because knowing the ending necessarily affects my experience. When you know the ending of something, it necessarily affects your experience. Paul is writing to a group of people that believed the gospel, that had shown fruit in believing the gospel. But now the world is changing. They're kind of hunkering down. There's false teaching in the church. There's persecution and suffering in the world. Sound familiar, by the way? And perhaps some of them thought, I thought it was going to be better than this. I didn't think it was going to go like this. And so what Paul says to them is, look, when I think of you, doesn't mean those other things aren't unimportant, those things that you fear, those things that you doubt, those things that cause insecurity. They're not unimportant, but when I think of you, I am reminded of what God has done, what God is doing, and what I know he will do. And so I cannot help but be joyful 
And so again, my invitation to all of us is we are called to be this for each other. We do this together, right? We come to church together. We sit under the preaching of the word together. We sing and we pray together. We come to the table together because God has ordained the means of his salvation going forward in the world in and through his people. And as Paul puts it in Ephesians 4, it's actually the church that builds itself up in love. That sounds like that's not right, but he says it that way as they speak the truth in love to one another. It's what we're supposed to be to each other. And so thankful for technology. But most of y'all, I think, know and would probably give me a hearty amen. We're not going to be able to do that through Zoom forever. Most, if you're like me, you just if you have one more video call, you don't know what you're going to do with yourself. It's needed, and I'm thankful that it's there. Assurance. We have that in Jesus, but we have it together. Final thing here is his prayer. His prayer, as he concludes this introduction, he's led to prayer. And let me sum up. You look at verses 9 through 11. Let me just sum up what I think Paul is saying. Paul is praying that the church, that they, that we, would be daily growing and becoming what we already are in Jesus. He's praying that they would daily be growing and becoming what we already are in Jesus. And again, how do we do that? Together. There's a saying, Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the British preacher, used to say something to the effect of, if you haven't been led by the gospel to ask, well, if the outcome is secure, then I guess I don't have to worry how I live. Lloyd-Jones would say, if you haven't at least considered that question, you haven't fully understood the gospel. But at the same time, you could say, if you are tempted to live like that, that it doesn't matter how you live, you haven't heard the gospel. Pastor James Forsyth, he tells a story about running his first marathon with uh, two friends that were married that had run a few marathons. And the day of the race, as they're on the shuttle to get to the starting line, uh, the two friends begin talking to each other about the goals that they have for the day, the hour marks that they want to meet as they run and all these things. And they look at James and they go, well, what are your goals today? James never run a marathon before. He said, well, I hope I don't die and I hope I finish. And then he goes on to say this. If you're worried that you can't make it to the end, you're not going to worry about how well you run. You're just going to think, don't die and finish. I think this is a temptation for us always, but especially in the circumstances we've endured together the past 12 months. There's a sense in which we throw our hands up at the end of the day. It's like, I just hope I don't die, and I hope I'm here tomorrow. If you're worried about whether or not you're going to make it to the end, you don't worry about how well you're running. So you see the beauty of the gospel, right? The beautiful beauty of the gospel, because it's about what Jesus has done for you and secured for you, tells you you are going to make it to the end. It's a sure thing. And because we can know that, we are then freed up to run and to run well. 
Doesn't mean things won't hinder us. Doesn't, things, doesn't mean we won't get hurt along the way. But we know that we will make it to the end and we are freed to run without fear, without self-doubt, without darkness, without confusion, without insecurity, without self-loathing, without shame. We are freed up to run, but more than that, we are freed and empowered to run together. That's the beauty of the gospel. I don't know if y'all remember when flash mobs were a thing. This was a thing for like a day, as our culture does. But flash mob is when you're out in public and all of a sudden a song starts playing and everyone, I mean everyone, starts dancing the same dance to the song all together. And if you're not part of it, it's a wonder to behold because you're like, how did they do this? My favorite example of this was on a TV show. There was this guy that wanted to tell a girl that he loved her, and so he took her on a TV show. That's not the point. But the way they were going to set it up was a flash mob. And so she goes out to dinner, she thinks, with a friend. And they're sitting in a restaurant, and all of a sudden music starts playing, and they're looking around, and, the, and her waiter starts dancing. But then all the waiters start dancing. Then everyone in the restaurant gets up and starts dancing. And she's really freaked out at this point. Then her friend gets up and starts dancing. Then it leads her outside and there are hundreds of people in the street and they are all dancing to the same song. And she has no idea what's going on. And then right at the end, the music stops and the crowd parts. And there's the guy waiting to tell her he loves her. Now, guys, I just gave you a great idea, right? We'll help. I want you to look at verse 10 and 11. As Paul says, his prayer is that they may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What Paul says is there is going to come a day when the music's going to stop, when the chaos and busyness of this world, it's all going to stop. But the beauty of that day for the Christian is at that point we will know there he is waiting for us, arms wide open, to remind us and to take us into his arms to tell us that he loves us. All of us, together. Now go back to that flash mob. How did the girl come to find out that the guy loved her? I'll never forget, at the end of the show, she's staring into the camera, and she's still kind of dumbfounded, and she says this, I just didn't know there was anyone out there that cared enough about me to do something like this. How did she come to find out? All those people. All those people helped her find out. You'll see Paul talk about the people that he loves this way throughout his letters. And when I think of you, when I think of us together, I'm filled with joy because it reminds me of Jesus and his love for me and his love for us. So my encouragement this morning would be, as we come to the table together, what kind of people would we be? What kind of church would we be if this is what we were doing for each other all the time? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have loved us with an everlasting love. You've given us yourself. 
And we pray that that love that you have poured into our hearts would overflow in love for you and the Father and for our brothers and sisters that you have called to yourself. We pray these things in your holy and matchless name. Amen.